everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to be discussing Enchantress in Wilds of Eldraine. I'll get to what I mean by that in a second. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. So as to what I'm even talking about, right? So there are three different things that I classify as Enchantress effects in Wilds of Eldraine. So Enchantress refers to Verdurin Enchantress, I guess is the original one from Alpha. That's uh, one green green uh, when you cast an enchantment draw card. Since then, there have been a lot of other Enchantresses that are typically creatures that like care about enchantments in some way. And uh, usually drawing cards. There are some enchantresses that like get bigger and stuff instead, but usually people are interested in the ones that draw cards. So uh, in this set, the three enchantresses are Elvish Archivist, the one in a green zero one rare that uh, draws a card the first time an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control each turn and gets plus two plus two uh, when the first time an artifact enters each turn. Tanglespan Lookout, the 2-3 that draws a card when it enters the battlefield, and Season of Growth, the 1 in a green enchantment that scries when a creature enters the battlefield under your control and draws a card when you target a creature you control. Targeting a creature you control is not exactly the same thing as having an enchantment under the battlefield or playing an enchantment or whatever, but there are a lot of cards in this format, I'll be listing all the commons soon, that trigger all of these cards at the same time. And uh, so these are all cheap green cards that work with similar cards and give you a card draw engine. So they all exist in kind of the same space. So you can maximize all of them together and build a deck that plans on like having these and incorporates them as like a major part of its game plan rather than just like, you know, sometimes a deck will be like, oh, I have like five things that make auras, so I'll play a Tanglespan Lookout and it'll be fine. This is like really leaning into it. I've had I've had a deck that had like five total of these cards and like 12 ways to trigger them. So you can be like really all in on this plan. And I want to talk about like how and why you would do that. Um, so none of these cards have like good overall stats on 17 lands. I think that's true of like linear cards just in general because the uh, there, there's no control for when people put them in a deck where they're not very good, right? Like those those times when someone plays a Tanglespan Lookout just because it's like kind of threatening for the opponent and maybe they have like three to five ways to trigger it. So it's probably not going to be that bad if like they play it and it lives. Sometimes they'll play it and the opponent will like use a removal spell immediately because you don't know if your opponent's about to draw a card. Um, but like when it's in those decks, you wouldn't expect it to have like very good stats. Whereas uh, if like whenever you play it, you draw like one or more cards basically every turn, then it could be a pretty good card. So as with a lot of these kind of like nebulous archetypes that I'm going to be talking about uh, this set, 17 lands isn't going to help me uh, describe like how strong this deck is relative to other decks, and uh, I, I certainly can't tell you myself. Um, I've drafted these decks a few times. Uh, they've been 
solid. I've done some good things with them, but my sample size isn't going to be anywhere near large enough to be like in aggregate when you draft something like this. This is more something to watch for if you happen to get uh, the right payoffs. Archivist is probably the most likely way into this, but sometimes you'll, you know, speculatively take a look at or you'll take a look at after having passed a season of growth. Season of growth usually tables, so you can kind of plan for it. The draft that I did right before recording this podcast, I actually got a Tanglespan lookout 15th pick. So these cards, when they're opened, they sometimes do go around the table, so you can like collect a number of them. That's important when we're talking about just two uncommons and a rare as like really the entire backbone of this archetype. It's important that they're not taken too early so that you can actually get them to make this happen, and I do think that's the situation we're in. So the commons that trigger all of these are Besotted Knight, the 4-mana uh, 3-3 three, three white creature with an adventure that makes an enchantment, so it makes a royal roll. So that adventure triggers uh, Archivist, Tanglespan Lookout, and Season of Growth, um, and then it's a playable card because it's attached to a creature. Uh, the same thing is true of both Conceited Witch and Ferocious Werefox. All of those trigger all of these things and work basically the same way. Uh, Conceited Witch is the black 2-3 menace that has an adventure to make a wicked roll. And Ferocious Werefox is the black 4-mana four 4-3 four, trample that has an adventure to make a monstrous roll. Then you also have several removal spells. There's Curse the Werefox, Cut In, and Shatter the Oath. Uh, all at common, Curse the Werefox is the make a monstrous roll on one of your guys, and then you can fight with it. Cut in is the deal four and make a young hero roll, and Shadow of the Oath is destroy a creature or enchantment and make a wicked roll on one of your creatures. And all of those target your own creatures in choosing where the roll goes. So you get an effect that triggers all these things in addition to getting a removal spell. Then you can also get uh, kind of like generic card advantage spells in the form of Arit's Whisper. Uh, which is the Mind Rot that makes a Wicked Roll. Uh, four mana, opponent discards two cards. Target player, really, but let's be real. Uh, and then Witch's Mark, which is the Tormenting Voice. Uh, one in red, discard a card, draw two. Uh, and then you can uh, put a Wicked Roll on something. And then uh, there are also some like kind of other tricks that work. There's Not Dead After All, which is the um, when your creature would die, it comes back with a, a Wicked Roll. And uh, then there's like Monstrous Rage, that's uncommon. Uh, gives a creature plus two power and a Monstrous Roll for red. And then Royal Treatment, the uncommon green card that gives your creature a uh, Royal Roll and Hexproof until end of turn. So th those are the cards that trigger all of these. It's That's a good number of cards. And then there are other cards that work well with some of these, play well in the deck, but don't necessarily explicitly trigger all three of them. But that that package kind of shows you that you can have like a really like robust deck, like a good mix of uh, creatures and removal and card advantage and tricks that are all incidentally just target these things in different or trigger these things in different ways. So you get this weird you can actually build like a re like recycle is an old six mana enchantment uh, four and a green four sorry four and two green. And one of its effects is whenever you play a spell, you draw a card. Um, so you're trying to get pretty close to that, where just like all of your cards cantrip, you get multiple enchantresses in play, and then like your cards are all just like divinations in addition to being like removal spells or whatever. And then you kind of like go off, and it's pretty easy to win from there. You'll notice that like 
all of these cards are just like scattered across the colors. Less support in blue than the other colors, uh, but there's a pretty broad mix. That's why I didn't really list this as being like a particular set of colors. I mean, like all of the enchantresses are green, right? So you have to be green. And then this deck intends to see a lot of cards, uh, which is where I usually would say you can play like an ambitious mana base because card draw is the best fixing. But I don't think that that's true here because you only draw cards once your deck's already firing, once you already have your engine and like a thing to target and like a spell that like targets it. Um, so you probably kind of like need all of your colors or at least most of your colors just like to get started and like get the ball rolling on card advantage. So I think you want to have a pretty good like conservative mana base here, which is pretty easy to do because you're a base green deck. And so I think you want to just kind of like Whenever you're not sure between two cards, just like take the green one so that you can like play a lot of forests and um, then like be able to reliably cast all your green cards to get on the board, not fall behind and get your engine going. And then like if there's one color you're missing, that's like just a couple of cards in that color, uh, you'll find it pretty quickly once like the ball starts rolling. So I don't know that it matters how many colors you are, but I would just try to have a lot of green cards in your deck. That's especially true because one of the best cards available for the archetype is Utopia Sprawl, a green aura that only enchants a forest, taps for a man of any color. So that's going to trigger your Elvish Archivist and your Tanglespan Lookout, and it's going to fix your mana, and it's going to give you more mana, uh, which is important because you're going to be drawing so many cards you want to be able to like, cast them. Um, so like cantripping an extra like mana source that also fixes into play is huge. So, yeah, you really want to air toward base green, and then you can kind of go wherever with, like, your other colors. I think that uh, there are a couple of different core paths you can follow. So you could be, like, red-green, um, either exclusively or primarily, and you can build this as, like, red-green, uh, like, aggro, like, low-curve, play creatures like Ginger Brute and Toadstool Admirer, that uh, really want to have rolls cast on them and then play the adventure creatures that have combat tricks so that your like little one drops can keep attacking and your combat tricks will trigger your season of growth. And then you play like the archivist and the tangle span lookout and those just like give you more cards. And since all your cards are so cheap, you can cast all of them and it takes this like fast, consistent aggro deck and it like gives it a really explosive late game. It's a bit weird to play like these kind of slow to get started card advantage engines in your like really, really aggressive deck. But I think um, that, you know, since you're just like putting a creature into play and the creature can have decent stats, it's, it's not, you're not going too far off plan. And since you can have so many cheap cards that trigger this, uh, I, th I think that that can play really well even if it's a little bit odd to be like, well, now that I have my card engine, I'm going to end the game. Because personally for me, when I have like a card engine, I'm like, well, I just want to keep getting value from this. Um, but uh, I, I think that the like red green aggro version of this might actually be the best version of the deck, just because you have a really cohesive game plan, you have good mana and you have a low curve. And when all of your spells draw cards and you cast them you really want your spells to be as cheap as possible 
And so the like straight red green version of the deck does a really good job of functioning off of uh, cards that where you can keep your curve super, super, super low. Another uh, good build or another possible direction you can go with this is more like a mid-range or control deck. And that's usually going to pull you into primarily Abzan, uh, where you can take advantage of the uh, white black like enchantments go to the graveyard cards to um, play with all of these enchantments that you're playing and that deck is going to be like a little bit grindier because your removal is going to be relatively expensive and clunky stuff like curse the were fox and shatter the oath um, you really want to prioritize cre cheap creatures because like this deck like i said you know when you're drawing all these cards you want cheap cards to play and so if you're playing expensive removal spells, like you have to have cheap creatures. And you also just like you need a creature in play early to be able to like put your uh, rolls on. So you re you really want to prior like really maximize just like get your like get the cheapest creatures you can in addition to the like more expensive adventure creatures. And uh, like all, all of your expensive cards should be triggering your enchantresses and then like all your creatures that aren't also uh enchantress triggers just want to be like the cheapest creatures you can find basically i think that like the absent version of this deck is a reasonable place to play any of the one drops that you can so toadstool admirer warehouse tabby and uh, i'm blanking on the name of the white one but the one one vigilance thing that pumps through the number of enchantments you control and scries when you play an enchantment the scries when you play an enchantment is like almost an extra enchantress effect it can really help you chain when you actually have an enchantress with it and the downside of all of these is they only have one toughness, but when you're putting rolls on things really aggressively, the window for you to like get blown out by a uh, rat out or flick a coin is a little bit smaller. All of those one drops I think are playable in this archetype. I don't know that they're the highest priority. You might prefer some like higher impact two or three mana creatures, but um, I, I just like I think that those one drops don't perform super well in general. So I just want to point out this is a spot where they're playable in addition to like the normal cards that you might normally want to play. There are some other rares that don't trigger Season of Growth, but do trigger Tanglespan Lookout that are like not only, yeah, you could also play this card in this deck, but they're like a reason to draft the deck. Um, so like Spellbook Vendor, the uh, two mana white creature that at the beginning of combat, you can spend a mana to put a sorceress roll on something. And Fawnsbane Troll, the uh, green black troll that uh, Starts, enters with a monstrous roll, and then you can spend one and sack a roll uh, from it to fight something. Both of those cards are just absolutely incredible in this archetype. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you should take them and play them, but also um, I think that both of them are at their best in this archetype by quite a bit. So if I started with either of them early, I would be really looking to move into this kind of space. Spellbook Vendor, obviously, because it lets you trigger your stuff every turn and Fawnsbane Troll because you're going to play a bunch of other things that can put new rolls on it so you can use it to like fight several times. Once you have like two or more Tangle Span lookouts in a draft, I think that you're basically just trying to take stuff that makes a roll over like anything that's not another Tangle Span lookout. And then if there's nothing that makes a roll and not a Tangle Span lookout in the pack, then you kind of just want to find like the cheapest cards you can when you're not sure. And then again, green cards over not green cards when you're not sure. Uh, Royal Treatment is another of the absolute best possible cards for the deck because it both protects your enchantresses, which like your whole game revolves around, and it also triggers them. 
it's also just like a really good card on rate and in general and stuff so um i think like that and utopia sprawl are uh the like best uncommons uh outside of like season of growth and tangle span lookout but honestly i would take royal treatment and utopia sprawl over season of growth and sometimes over tangle span lookout in this deck expecting to be able to table those uh and like valuing the sprawl and the treatment very very highly and yeah i, I kind of mentioned about colors before like you you do want to prioritize fixing highly even though you want a conservative mana base um so you want to try to play fewer colors where you can uh but you also want to like you want to be able to play more colors you want to be able to you know like splash a cut in if you're like not otherwise red but you want more removal that triggers your stuff so any any of the fixing is fine here uh you know just pay attention to like your curve and your specific requirements in terms of like how to prioritize the relative fixing options um but yeah just try to have a mana base where you're going to very reliably be able to cast your spells in the early game because you you really want to go play to the board then start drawing cards and you know like card draw is a much better fix when you're like drawing cards first like with sleight of hand or something that's that's pretty much the spiel on this one like the core engine uh i, I guess i often talk about like how the decks are positioned strategically um i think with this one like your because your picks are dictated by like does it fit into this enchanter synergy or not you don't get to go like super deep on other game plans so the primary strategic consideration uh on a micro level like basically you're just like okay is this who's the beatdown like is this deck trying to like attack and end the game or is this deck trying to like prolong the game so that my engine can keep going and as I like alluded to with the like aggressive red green versions of the deck, and I don't think you have to be red green to have an aggressive version of the deck, you can draft this deck in a beatdown mindset. Like that's a pretty natural way to go with Season of Growth, because um, Season of Growth encourages combat tricks. But you can also draft it uh, as a like very much just like okay, we're just gonna hang out, and then I'll have drawn my entire deck by the time my opponent's like a quarter of the way through their deck. And then I'm probably going to be able to win, like, no matter what's going on. So you want to, like, have a pretty good idea of how frequently your deck is going to be aggressive versus controlling. And then take cards that, like, support that broad strategy. But mostly, of course, you're basically just, like, doing the linear thing. So, yeah, I, I think that that should basically cover the sorts of things you're going to be thinking about in the draft. So, um I'm going to turn it over to chat for uh, follow-up questions here. And uh, while I'm waiting for some questions to filter in, I do, as I always, want to thank my newest patrons this week. So uh, thanks, Mike, and um, someone else whose name uh, who might prefer not to be named, given the name that was entered, it was some X's. Um, but uh, thank you both very much for your support. Um, if anyone else is interested in supporting the podcast again check out patreon.com slash uh, drafting archetypes to see the uh, packages available there so let's let's see do you draw so many cards with this deck that you would ever consider playing more than 40 cards no uh this is not a deck where i would really want to play more than 40 because 
It's so important to draw your cards in the right order and specifically to draw your enchantresses early so that the deck functions. And you're not really like milling stuff. You're like actually drawing all your cards and you're kind of like drawing them at like one at a time increments, like more if you have like multiple enchantresses in play. But like it's hard to like be in a spot where you're like going off so hard and like once you've drawn like most of your deck you should be in a position where you can end the game pretty easily because you should have like just so much more like so many more resources so much more power at your opponent at that point that you should be able to close like you just shouldn't need more than your you know like 23 or whatever spells to be your opponent with assuming you've picked enough role makers could the black when enchantments die cards have a place in this archetype yeah i was saying that like i think warehouse tabby uh like is a very reasonable card to play here because like you really want cheap creatures and like a lot of your roles are going to be dying especially like if you make so many roles that you're like putting a role on a creature you've already put a role on and then like that gives you like a rat that you can then like put a role on that also so you're like using your roles less inefficiently so uh, yes, I and I mean that, that's also what I was saying about the reason that I think you're Abzan is that the deck kind of like blurs into the like white black enchantment dying matters space. So like arguably like Ashiox Reaper, uh, the one that I got asked about a lot on a previous uh, episode, the th uh, four mana three three that draws when an enchantment dies. Like arguably you could conceive of that as another enchantress. I'm like pretty low on that card. But this is, like, a relatively right deck for it. I wouldn't, like, think of it as, like, it, it's more of a, like, okay, this could be playable unless, like, all right, we're drafting around this thing. But it, it is there as, like, an additional card engine, like, card draw engine that fits, that works in this space if you feel like you need more of that for some reason. In my experience, you can end up in situations where you need to stop drawing cards to not deck. By that point, you already have enough cards to win. Yes, exactly. I I, I agree with that entirely. Um, that there are I've certainly gotten into spots where I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm not using this like where this like adventure that would make a roll because uh, I should just play the creature instead so that I can actually end the game. And you like start getting a little less value out of each of your cards, but like you have all of your cards, you don't need any more value, and you'll be fine. Would I play Knight of Doves in this deck? I've literally never put knight of doves in any deck so i don't know how good it would be if i did it's it's you know like in the right version of the deck there would be a chance that it would be playable like if you're really good at like stalling the ground but like you feel like you might not be able to close well and you're like well i guess these flyers can do it or whatever or like a sideboard card against like fairies where you're like well i kind of want this game to go long but I don't really have creatures that like block their things well. Maybe these doves can do it. I don't know. Uh, so like again, I wouldn't rule it out, but it's not a card I'm like excited about, and it's not a card I've ever cast before. Have you had season of growth decks that don't have the enchantresses, like Gruel Tricks stuff? You certainly can, right? Like because there are a lot of adventures that trigger season of growth that don't trigger the enchantresses. I think that you know some portion of your like red green decks that happen like because the red green decks do want to play like all of those adventure trick guys and like once you have like i don't know six plus adventure trick guys and maybe like two other combat tricks like season of growth is a pretty reasonable card to play um so i i don't think season of growth is like exclusively wanted by this deck 
But I do think very few decks in the format want Season of Growth. We see that with like the stats on Season of Growth, it goes very late. So yes, other decks can play this card, but if you're in this deck, you can mostly count on getting it. How do your early play pattern change depending on if you had the Enchantress cards in your opening hand or not? Um, we're okay with trading. Yeah, I see. I kind of get what you're saying. So like you draft the deck and then like, do you play differently if you have them versus if you don't have them? And so like, let's say I have Tangle Span Lookout, but it's not my first creature. I have some other creature that I cast on turn one or turn two. And now the question is, do I try to like trade off that other creature to like make the game smaller so that like the impact that I get from the Tangle Span Lookout is bigger because uh, like I have a card draw engine, so it would make sense to like simplify the board. Or do I avoid trading because I'm playing a lot of auras and I want to keep my creatures around so that I have stuff to target them, uh, especially if my opponent like kills my Tangle Span Lookout, like my deck has like a lot of auras and I wouldn't want to like not have something to put them on because I traded off some other thing. I think that uh, being able to maximize your auras is probably more important than simplifying the board. Uh, so I would only trade if I felt like I was in a spot where my life total was going to be in jeopardy and I had to trade to protect it rather than trading like just to simplify. Um, I think that these decks are like relatively comfortable playing a big game and like leaning into that's fine. But uh, if you need to preserve your life total and you think you're going to be able to like snowball after doing that and the thing that you're trading with isn't essential to that plan, then it makes sense to trade. But uh, in general, I think like all else equal, like I wouldn't attack to push a trade uh, because I, I think that you, unless it's with a creature like already has a role on it, because I think that just like having a thing to put roles on uh, is good here. Does an early Yenna make you want to soft force this deck? Uh, yeah, I would say Yenna is similar to like Spellbook Vendor and Fawn's Bane Troll being like a really powerful uh, rare that can work in a bunch of places but works particularly well in this deck. Works super, super well with like uh, Cooped Up and Stab Wound that also both work really, really well with uh, Elvish Archivist and Tangle Span Lookout. Since I was like listing the cards that like also work with Season of Growth, I didn't touch on like a lot of the kind of like core auras that uh, like interact with your opponent's stuff, um, like the uh, Cooped Up and anything that makes a Cursed Roll and Stab Wound. But these decks can definitely be very into like all of that stuff if you're like less season of growth leaning and more tangle span lookout leaning. And uh, yeah, Yenna can definitely get in there, and then Yenna can put you into a direction where you're like more about um, the hopeful and hopeless stuff and um, get you into the like princess takes flight and stockpile celebrant space. You know, the the thing about this format as a whole is. There are so many like overlapping uh, synergies that um, there's just like a lot of pivoting and like blended decks and hybrid strategies and stuff. So there are going to be a lot of ways that this deck uh, and like these synergies can kind of like merge with uh, some related decks and synergies that have some overlapping pieces. So like I almost listed like the Stockpile Celebrant uh hopeful and hopeless enchantments as like something to look for here but like they only trigger elvish archivist like uh the celebrant and the um hopeful visual hopeless nightmare like don't interact with lookout or season of growth but they're just like really good white cards and 
they do like some things in common uh like yenna so um and also like some of the like when your stuff uh dies um payoffs so uh yeah definitely you don't want to take this or really any other like podcast about this set as like being narrowly prescriptive um because it's so easy to combine like clusters that support one thing with like an interlocking cluster that supports another thing and like end up with like a weird but like cohesive deck so yeah that's that's what i have to say about that one how important would you say recursion effects are for this archetype so i think that like some recursion effects are just really good like specifically woodland acolyte or whatever it's called the uh white uncommon that two two that draws a card and has the uh green adventure to put a permanent from your graveyard on top of your library like i'm very excited about that card both because it's just like independently great and because it protects your card draw engines um in this archetype uh as far as the like slightly less good one like fell horseman that has the two-man adventure to get a, a creature from your graveyard back i wouldn't say that's a high priority um because i want to have enough like density of these enchantresses that like i don't have to get back one that died i can just draw into another one and the like recursion value stuff is less important when you have like good card flow from other places and then it's a little bit like more narrow right like it's only going to be good in some uh matchups there are some matchups where your opponent's just not really killing your stuff that much and the recursion cards end up underperforming so I would want to like air toward like lean toward like the drawing like the other stuff um and sparingly play the recursion stuff but the really good recursion stuff like Neva the white black enchantress and like or not enchantress the white black grave digger that likes that can get back enchantments and uh the acolyte um would be uh high priorities just on power level you said to focus on green if possible. Would it be reasonable for a non-green deck with uh, good mana and lots of rolls to splash these no look at? Yes. Uh, like, it's more important to have, like, good mana than specifically to be base green. Um, so you could have, like, a deck that's based anything and, like, splash just the payoffs and then, like, be able to cast them and do your thing. Um it's just most natural when you're like starting with these like green things and green being the fixing color for that to be your base. But like you could certainly be like a basically mono red deck that just has a lot of like um, witches marks and cut ins and um, then like support it with like a few green cards for all these payoff things and like wear fox cards. But like most of the time, I don't think that's how it's going to go. But, you know, there are always exceptions to everything in Magic. All right. Looks like I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. For a little bit of context, I only got back from uh, Vegas uh, less than 24 hours ago, and um, things have been pretty hectic. So uh, there, I didn't put up a poll for the episode this week. I'm uh, intending to... Um, stick with the formula that I had for the previous week where I put up a poll with just like a few options uh, moving forward, but um, still, still kind of figuring everything out. And uh, 
yeah thanks for listening have a good week and i will be back next week for more bye for now everyone prepare for light speed